millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, and welcome to the Ghibliotech, the podcast that flies with the flock of films from the world's greatest animation studio, Studio Ghibli. I'm Michael Leader, and I've seen a lot of them. And I'm Jake Cunningham, and I'm watching them all for the very first time. So join us on our quest into the glorious world of Ghibli. Jake, we're back for a third series. We are back for the first time in my life. The first day of school is a wonderful place to be. And what did you get up to on your holidays? Oh, so many things. You've, you've told me about so many other directors. <laughs> um, yeah, we, we've, we're trying to figure out what do we do when we run out of these films. Um, and I'm, I'm sure we'll run forever now. Um, uh, what have you been up to? Not much has really happened with you, has it? I'm just helping a little tiny human to grow. Uh, my, my, my little son is now six months old. To think that he was born in between the first and second series and now he's growing soon. I can't believe it's taken this long to put a series together when you only had that one little thing to worry about. He's not even that big yet. I know, yeah. Well, he's pretty big for his age. But Jake, for people who are joining us for the first time, we should probably say what the game is here. Yes. Uh, so if you are just joining us, uh, I have been watching these wonderful Japanese animated films for the first time in my life. Uh, Michael has very much been my leader throughout telling me about the uh, the context, the history of these films as we navigate uh, our own chronology, really. This is, this is uh, not following a traditional timeline. We're creating our new pages of history books. For sort of thematic. I think that as we've been going, I've, I've curated this for you so that you see these themes and the threads. Maybe there are some surprises still to come. We've done many of the big hitters, Spirited Away, My Neighbor Totoro, Princess Mononoke, et al. And now this is one of the few final big ones we've got to come to. And it's a 30th anniversary this year. It's Kiki's Delivery Service. Yeah, um, this is, it's in, in my small contextual knowledge of these films, uh, it's a name that I knew, but I wasn't necessarily familiar with its images. I think that's something that kind of has seeped out of Totoro and Spirited Away, where you, you know no face, you know Totoro, before you even know anything about the film. Kiki, not so much, um, but... Uh, watching the film, I'm really surprised to see actually just how important this film really is for setting up what the studio would become. And behind the scenes as well, we'll get to that. Of course, we run through synopsis, production backstory and history, and then your first 
take review of the film. We do go into spoilers, so if there are any listeners out there who've not seen the film would rather watch it unspoiled, pause the podcast, go away and watch it. We'll be here when you come back. But for now, shall we crack on, Jake? Let's do it. This is Kiki's Delivery Service. Thirteen-year-old Kiki is a young witch approaching an important stage on her journey towards adulthood. According to tradition, witches in training must leave home and spend a year alone in another town. And after a turbulent trip through a storm, Kiki and her black cat Gigi find themselves in the seaside town of Coraco, where Kiki shacks up with the baker Osono and starts a flying courier business. But as the year progresses, Kiki must face a crisis of identity as her magical powers start to fade. Will she be able to regain her powers, her confidence and her sense of self before it's too late? So if you've been listening to the show from the very beginning, uh, you would have certainly heard our episodes on My Neighbor Totoro and Grave of the Fireflies and how important those films were for shaping the studio. Uh, This is the film that comes after those two. um, And as I mentioned previously, is arguably just as important as well. Certainly, Jake. So this is the late 80s. Totoro and Grave of the Fireflies come out in 1988. They don't they light up the box office. This double bill that's hard to program. Which one do you watch first? The 80-minute kids' adventure or the 90-minute um, World War II, uh, you know, cryathon? So as soon as that film comes out, Hei Miyazaki throws himself directly into Kiki's delivery service. Um, but this one has a lot riding on it. Ghibli are three films into their career as a studio now. We have Castle in the Sky, which we may come to one day as their first one, and then this double bill that doesn't quite take off. So there's a lot riding on this film to to be a hit. Mm. There's actually rumours going around the industry that Miyazaki has, has passed it, that he, he, he doesn't have the magic touch anymore. But... This is Kiki's Delivery Service. It's adapted from a novel by Eiko Kodono and Miyazaki on April... Miyazaki in April 1988 in his directorial statement, you know, I love quoting these, oh, yeah. says that it is no longer appropriate to refer to leaving one's parents as a rite of passage because all it takes today to live on one's own in society is the ability to shop at the local convenience store. The true independence girls must now confront involves the far more difficult task of discovering their own talents. So this is going to be a very Miyazaki take on the coming-of-age story. Don't just go and shop at your local corner shop you need to find something deep yeah, within you you your need talents. to make your own bread so Miyazaki was just going to produce this one he was going to step back from the director's chair but this is a, a story we've heard before right oh yeah he was going to give the directorial reins to a, an animator called Sunao Katabuchi who was inevitably booted off the project he was fine though he became a director down the line he most recently did a film called In This Corner of the World which is a huge critical success and award winner But back in 1989, Miyazaki wasn't a fan of the initial script, so he rewrote it himself. And then in the process of developing the film, it ballooned from being a 60-minute TV special to being a full feature. Again, sound familiar. Happened with Totoro, happens with Porco Rosso as well. Miyazaki loves beefing up his films to features, doesn't he? But it was a very stressful one to put together. Um, Aiko Kodono, the author of the novel, wasn't happy with early drafts of the screenplay and these aspects that Miyazaki started to introduce into the story to bring stakes, uh, particularly Kiki losing her powers and this 
the Zeppelin disaster sequence at the end, which we'll get to. But also, it was just draining for Miyazaki. And he did say at the time that he was going to retire yeah, after the making of this well, film. Um, it's not like he had a, a break from the, the Totoro Grave of the Fireflies double bill. He just, he literally, like another day at work, just rolled straight into this. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. There, w- there was no gap. And this is the point where he's probably been animating nonstop for four or five years, if you think about Nausicaa over the Valley of the Wind, which is the pre-Ghibli film that sort of sets the tone for the studio when they finally you know, launched and found the studio with Castle in the Sky and onwards. He's just animating nonstop, and he thinks, I'm uh, I'm 48 now, I'm past it, I'm over the hill, maybe yeah, I'll retire. But it's, it's like trying to feel sorry for someone with a creative hangover. It's like you brought it upon yourself. Mm-hmm. It, uh, you can stop, just stop saying you're going to retire. Even now, what is this, 30 years 30 later? 30 years later. Imagine if he'd retired in 1989 and we would be without Porco Rosso, Princess Mononoke, etc., all these films. But then how many times has he announced his retirement and gone back on it? I mean, he's in the middle of doing that right now where he's got a new film out next year. But back in Kiki's, back to Kiki's delivery service, to the rescue comes... Mr. Toshio Suzuki, the secret hero of this entire podcast, right? He's the exec producer who is the third man behind Ghibli. He not only keeps Miyazaki on track through the difficult production, but he throws himself into his role as an exec. This is where his flair for marketing and advertising comes to the fore. He brokers a deal with the Yamato Delivery Service, which is a real-life postal couriering service that has not only a similar brand name to the title of the film but also their logo their mascot is a black cat so they think oh can we uh, do some sponsorship deal there so he brokers that deal for some commercial tie-ins but he also labors over the tagline and the poster of the film specifically how to pitch to that demographic that he sees as the key audience for the film which is young independent working women who may see in kiki's struggle to find herself in the great wide world out there and discover her talents something that they can relate to and it pays off and the film is a huge success it's the highest grossing japanese movie at the japanese box office for 1989 in fact it was third highest grossing overall if you take in Hollywood films. So this is the quiz that I always like to put to you. And let's see if you can guess two of them. So I'm going to give you a a clue here for the second film. It's by no means a blockbuster, but it's an 80s blockbuster starring Tom Cruise and Dustin Hoffman. I don't know. Wait, no, Rain Man. Rain Man indeed. And then sitting atop the Japanese box office of that year, a franchise we've spoken about before. We think Miyazaki may have been influenced by for his next film, Porco Rosso. Oh, Indiana Jones. But which one? Last Crusade. Oh, the best, the best film. in the franchise? It's, well, I mean, not just the franchise, just cinema history. So Kiki's Delivery Service sitting behind those two Hollywood titans there. And it's even a success in the States when it finally comes out on home video via Buena Vista International. This is when it takes years. To it takes a few in. years to come out. But on that release, it sells millions of copies and is rented a lot at Blockbuster. Apparently it outsells Akira, which is held up as one of those great gateway anime films. Yeah, and I I tweeted a while back, uh, the original VHS Buena Vista cover is amazing for this. This and Totoro, those two covers are fantastic. Where they sort of put Ghibli's designs through the Disney Mangler, don't they? It's much softer edges and Mm. rounded features. But it contributes to this slowly building reputation in the West. Siskel and Ebert give it two thumbs up. And it then puts Ghibli on the road to where we know them now. And this is so important in the Ghibli history. Yeah, I, I talk, I swear like every week I talk about 
the how much these inform on the other films that we're going to talk about, but perhaps more so than any, this one, seeing it as a Rosetta Stone for stuff that we've already watched, for stuff that we will watch, I think it's fascinating. It really is, and no other films would have come afterwards if this hadn't been a success both on screen and at the box office. Jake, I can't wait to hear what you think of this film. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. So, Jake, you mentioned this is something of a Rosetta Stone for your understanding of Ghibli. Were you seeing things familiar to you almost from the off on this film? Totally. Um, I love the blue. I love the green. I love a hillside. Bit of radio. From the very first moments of this film, I'm locked in. Uh, it, it was an easy win. It was an open goal. <laughs> uh, and they got me. And uh, everything... I, w- I was sold from those first few minutes. And there was so much along the way that just keeps selling it harder and harder to me. It, I was totally in its pocket. I remember on our Howl's Moving Castle episode, which is a film that we weren't too hot on in general, no. you did love the sequence where the, the family in the Howl's Moving, in Howl's Moving Castle just hang out on a hillside yeah. with, some, with some laundry on the line. Howl's Moving Castle is at its best when it removes the plot mm-hmm. and they have those quieter moments. Yeah. Um, and those are the reasons that I want to come back to these films. That's why my favorite part of Only Yesterday is that sequence that's almost documentary where you're just seeing process of nature and work and it's not really that relevant to the mm-hmm. plot, but that's why it's great. And Kiki's Lurie Service has a plot. It does have world building up front, mm. this sense of a, a witches have to go off on their, their walkabout, so to speak. Yeah, um, and what I love about the way that these films treat fantasy in that rather than trying to create an entire world and fill it with an adventure that fills that entire world. Actually, a better way to make that world feel real is to take a small story within it, because then who knows what other stories are going on through other people as well. Let's create a world that has witches and magic in it, but let's make the central task and adventure something that is very easy for us as an audience to understand. Mm-hmm. being a courier service. Yeah. We all know what that is. We don't need to be a witch to do it. And because of that, we can 
ultimately find it so much easier to relate to this fantasy world. Yeah, I think what you're saying there is very similar to what I've said in the past, where after a certain point, Miyazaki just overstuffs his films to a certain degree. Totally. How we said that Ponyo has, on the one hand, a, a fantastic relationship between a boy and his fish who may be a girl. But then there's also the end of the world and a tsunami that's bearing down on it. Yeah, uh, I know uh, for my sins, that was my issue with Princess Mononoke as mm -hmm. well. It becomes too sprawling and I lose actually a sense of space and screen geography as to how these events actually relate to each other because there's so much going on. It looks beautiful, as with Ponyo, as with How's Moving Castle, but there is such, there's a, a huge focus here on Kiki. It knows exactly what it's about and it really manages to strip away everything that doesn't need to be there. So what else was striking you about this film early on? Well, we've, we've got um, Kiki as this brilliant uh, young woman. We've got a coming-of-age story. That's something that we'll go on to see again in future Miyazaki films. And there is not really an antagonist here. We again see these uh, older witch women in... Uh, Spirited Away and Hell's Moving Castle who are presented as an antagonist but then that idea of them slowly fades away. Here we've got no real baddie either, something we'll see again. Um, we've got nature, magic and humanity all coexisting and I think that's the theme that you can see running throughout Miyazaki's films. My highlight of this film is a moment where Kiki flies in formation with some birds. And in that moment, you're actually seeing the, the majesty and magic of nature in the real world when birds fly like that in this V formation. And her, a young girl, a human girl, who happens to be a witch, flying on a broom with them. That's it. That's the moment. That's what he wants to give us. Mm -hmm. I love Kiki as a character, very much in this mold of early Miyazaki's female characters, these these women who, young women who know what they want to do. I love that she's listening to the radio to hear the weather report and her parents don't even know. She's like, I'm going out tonight. Yeah, I need to go out and, and, and find my place in the world. It's very different to Spirited Away where you see Chihiro in the backseat of the car being forcibly taken away from her, from one home to, the new, to a new home and she doesn't want to go on that journey, that mm. adventure, whereas Kiki can't wait to get going. Yeah, she's an instigator of her own adventure. Um, as you say, Chihiro begins a story quite passive and it's a challenge for her to engage within how she needs to uh, enter this period of her life. Um, speaking of throwing the radio on the broom, uh, this is a, another brilliant moment at the start of the film where Kiki sets off on her adventure um, and the, she turns on the radio and Yumi Arai's song Wrapped in Kindness, which is off her album Cobalt Hour, comes on. And it's brilliant. It's um, this 70s Japanese style of American 50s doo-wop rock. Uh, and it's a total earworm. And because of hearing it in this film, went and listened to the whole album. And I can only recommend it. It's fantastic stuff. I love that you picked up on that because this film, watching it back, has a really interesting cultural tapestry to mm. it. You think that with witches and the fantasy flourishes that it may be a sort of out-of-time film in terms of its setting and context but then you have a radio you have music that sets it in the 50s 60s 70s you have american voices on the radio at various points and then you, you go to the city of Koroko, which i think is an amazing creation part miyazaki part the art director hiroshi ono which is this 
clash of various European cultures and periods. Yeah, I mean, well, we've seen in Howl's Moving Castle, which is this pan-European thing, it's, it's begins in Wales, but it's also got this feeling of uh, Austria, Switzerland, Germany uh, to it. And then we've got Ponyo, which has a Cornish feel. Mm-hmm. And, and there are other films that we'll tackle in this series, which go even further beyond that. And we can really see these different geographic locations that they're just kind of smashing together. And uh, I'm a bit of a, a, a typography nerd, and so uh, my my eyes uh, widened when we arrive at the bakery, which becomes a key place for this film. And it's got this German black letter style logo. and But we've also got a traditional clock tower, um, but we've also got a feeling that's almost like post-war... Belgium. I don't. It's so they went on a scouting trip to Sweden in that year where Miyazaki went from producer to writer to director. They went on a scouting trip out to Sweden, took a lot of photographs there. That maybe informs the the town squares and church you know, church clock towers and cobbled streets of, of the town. Um, but then also, there's a sense. I think Miyazaki said in interviews that it's a Europe as if World War II never happened. So yeah, that's really a, interesting. A, a Europe that didn't lose its innocence by the Second World War. It's a fascinating... Because you have cars on the streets, so it's clearly after a certain point. It's a fascinating town. One thing that Toshio Suzuki talks about, I think when he, whenever he goes and, tra- goes and addresses schools of wannabe producers and filmmakers, he says one thing you need to do as a producer is be able to draw a map from imagination from a screenplay. And he said that's one thing he had to do for this. Uh, in, in one of his books, he has the map of Corico that he drew to make this world cohesive. But you can totally tell. Uh, like, and that is where I think the other films lose it, where you cannot fully imagine how everything actually connects. With this film and... I think um, with his other smaller scale ones like Totoro or even Porco Rosso, I think you can imagine what the paths and the roads that connect these scenes look like. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they have they actually drew the map makes total sense. It's this idea of everyone in the production of it being able to understand what the world is, is so important. Mm-hmm. And this is a world where there are buses with Studio Ghibli written on the side for people who want to look out for that. What a, yeah. what a strange little Easter egg. Um, but let's get on some themes here. Yeah, We've talked about Miyazaki's love of good hard work. Yes, yeah, and this is full of it. We've got uh, Kiki. She said that I'm going to be a witch now. I'm flying off. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to be become a, a woman of industry. And uh, <laughs> she teams up with this bakery uh, where they're baking the bread, she'll deliver it. Um, But to do that, you've got to work hard. You've got to clean. Uh, You've got to cook. Mm -hmm. And she's, um, as with Miyazaki's other films, we're putting the magic of the everyday at as much a level as the fantastical. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's in those moments, as we've said before, it's seeing food being made and eaten, that we are uh, just as enthralled as we might be by an incredible dogfight or something. Uh, It's really wonderful. Um, And it's this encouragement, I think, that viewers or young women will get from this that those moments in my life are just as important as if I can save a zeppelin from crashing on the ground. And if... In my time, if I'm struggling with figuring out my work, if I'm having a bad day and I feel like I'm not contributing, 
if I can reconnect with nature, uh, if I can go and find the artistry within my work, regardless of what it is, then I, I should take that moment as well. And that's what happens with Kiki there. I know you mentioned that her losing her powers was not something that was in the original text. Um, mm -hmm. And that's something that Miyazaki added. And although I'm not as into the idea of the Zeppelin, I think the losing the powers actually works because I think that's maybe something that viewers will get from when they are feeling sadder or... Well, it's, it's these emotional textures. As you say, the real peril here is going out on your own. It's having to close the door on your flat at the end of a hard day's work and then think, who's going to make dinner? I'm going to have to make it for myself. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> she says that they're always going to have to eat pancakes. If we don't do more deliveries, we're just going to get fat because we're eating so many pancakes. And some of the some of the real challenges that happen as we grow older and have to be self-sufficient is if you have a bad day, if you're feeling down or depressed, you still have to get up and get to it. Mm. What I love about this film is that it creates the support structure of inspiring women for, for Kiki. This supporting cast, which apart from her, her little lad friend, they're all women and all incredible women. We've talked about how mm. Miyazaki can draw out these great supporting characters before. We should, we should talk about Asano, uh, the, the, the baker that she shacks oh, up yeah. with. Yeah, uh, Asano runs the bakery. She is fantastic. She immediately takes in Kiki. She sees, I think she sees a bit of herself in her as well. You think, right, here's a young woman who's putting herself out there, who's looking for work, who's um, industrious mm -hmm. and uh, she gives her a helping hand. She gives her a room above the bakery and she puts her to work. And that in itself is great. Um, but I think what's really brilliant with Asana is that she is clearly heavily pregnant. <laughs> but that is not part of the plot of the film. It's just something that happens to be. Mm -hmm. And I think we are so uh, used to seeing a pregnant character just get utilized to, as something to up the stakes of a drama that... Uh, the some plot A will be happening and is exciting and adventurous, but also plot B, we need to get to the hospital on time. And, well, we can up the melodrama by just literally introducing a baby. And mm -hmm. that's a really easy way of manipulating emotion. Um, and this never does that. I wonder if there was ever temptation on Miyazaki's part while writing the screenplay for bringing in a different sort of delivery service for Kiki to do. <laughs> Maybe that pun doesn't work in Japanese. Nah, it's still good, though. <laughs> it works for us, and Just that's for the main us, thing. Yes, exactly, um, as long as we're making each other laugh. Yeah. There's also Ursula. I love Ursula. Yes. Um, the, the painter in the forest, this sort of bohemian idol. Yeah, and, and this is what I mentioned about going out and reconnecting with nature, and I think Ursula really helps her through that. Whilst you've got Asona helping her with her work life, uh, you've got Ursula who seems more like this spiritual personal guide. Mm -hmm. just, a, 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 just a great supporting cast, really. I think this has so much of that Miyazaki wisdom. When, when I've spoken before about why I come to these films and rewatch them over and over. It is that sense that this film ha is a slice of life heightened by genre flourishes, but it comes back to these little emotional moments or this emotional lesson, this messy emotional lesson that it, that it has at the end that turns on a single line of dialogue, mm. right? Which is that sometimes I still feel down. Yeah. Oh, what a heartbreaker. And yet he'll just drop these in the credits. Like this, we thought the, like the uh, the ending of only yesterday. Like mm -hmm. the credits have started rolling, and then we suddenly get this huge emotional shift. And I think this ending of Kiki is just fantastic mm -hmm. because 
with films maybe about putting putting oneself out there into the world, these coming of age stories, there is a temptation that at the end of it, everything is great. Mm-hmm. And actually, that's quite uh, dangerous, I think, for young people that might watch these films that at the end of it, if everything is great and then you go out into the real world and you're not, then what did we actually get from the film? And this presents reassurance. It says, go out there, put yourself out there, do these things, be industrious. But it also says, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be happy all the time. And it's totally okay. That's absolutely fine. You're going to miss your parents. Uh, You're going to feel sad. You know that I'm a big fan of Whisper of the Heart. I think that's a little bit of DNA that is shared here, where it's a sense that you've got to work hard at your life. You're never finished. Mm. Both your, your, your craft, whatever your passions are, but also yourself. You need to work on yourself throughout your whole life. Mm. It's so profound and so moving, I think. For what is a kid's movie, it's fantastic. Mm. Yeah, it really is. Uh, I think it's one of the best films that we've watched in this series. That is quite a quite a big statement there, Jake. Yeah. Yeah, Um, and I think maybe it's time for us to figure out whether you think it's one of the best films we've watched in this series, Michael. It's that time where we put these films on Michael Leader's leaderboard. So in every episode, we have to add to this ongoing pile, this list of films uh, in order of Michael's preference. To catch you up, listeners, we have got 12 on there at the moment. We've got at the bottom, The Cat Returns. Oh. And after that, we've got Arietti, Howl's Moving Castle, Pompoco, Only Yesterday, Breaking My Heart, Ponyo, Spirited Away, Porco Rosso, Princess Mononoke, and on the podium, Grave of the Fireflies, My Neighbor Totoro, Whisper of the Heart. And I actually think that maybe we're never going to see anything move from that top five. Well, Miyazaki does have a new movie out next year, Jay. <laughs> Who knows how, how that will go down. This is getting harder with every film. Putting this into the leaderboard, it may always feel or sound like almost a pyrrhic victory for a film to be put in amongst these, but you need to understand that the top five, as it currently stands, top six maybe as it currently stands, are five-star films. And we've, we've said before, listeners, if you have any suggestions about how we could tabulate these <laughs> maybe we could have tears the Totoro tier the forest god tier etc the soot spirit tier maybe for Harrietty and, and the cat returns but for Kiki's delivery service this is such an important film in the Ghibli canon in its history it, it gave birth to Ghibli as we know it both creatively and sustained it through the 90s and I love it it's one of the films of theirs I've watched the most and I want to say that up front because I don't want it to sound like I'm doing it any disservice by putting it at fifth on the leaderboard, which is above Porco Rosso, yeah. a film that we both love, yeah. and just below Princess Mononoke, a film I think is you know, just absolutely incredible and, and unique in latter-day Miyazaki's work. I mean, yeah, it, it's, it's done hard work to get there. Uh, to enter that top five is, is impressive. 
But one thing that's interesting is in the top five, we have three films that came out within 18 months of each other. <laughs> yeah, wow. What a work ethic. Yes. yes so... It's no surprise that working hard seems to be a theme uh, for his films. Well, yeah, exactly. If, if you can keep pumping them out at that standard. Anyway, Jake, mm. next week we're going to be talking about a film that is maybe controversial, one of the most recent Ghibli films. Yeah, When Marnie Was There. This one's going to be really interesting. Uh, this is one that perhaps when I've mentioned we've been uh, about to do an episode on it, I've had the most raised eyebrows. All of your eyebrows were raised, <laughs> or all of your followers' eyebrows were raised? All of my followers' that? eyebrows. Interesting. Yeah. So that is currently, to date, the final fully produced Ghibli film to be released. It's the return of Hiramasu Yonabayashi. Last series, we covered Arietti. Maybe there'll be some crossover of themes between that and Kiki's Lyric Service. I am excited to find out. Yes. That's next time. And until then, you can follow Jake on Twitter at Jake H. Cunningham. And you can follow Michael on Twitter at Michael J. Leader. Ghibliotech is a Little Dot Studios production. Our music is made by Anthony Ng. Our artwork is by Sophie Moe and Lister Russell makes us sound good. The show is produced by Michael Leader, Jake Cunningham, Harold McShill and Steph Watts. That's me. Hi, everyone. Thank you for sticking with us through the credits. We love giving you a little nugget of trivia for those that stick around. For this one, it'll be a bit of a dub corner. I want to single out Phil Hartman, the great comedian, actor, voice actor. You may recognize him as Troy McClure and Lionel Hutz from The Simpsons. He provided the voice of Gigi in the Disney dub, which was a little bit controversial because of the way they changed the script. But Phil Hartman goes very much off script throughout most of his performance, and it's fantastic. And very sadly, it was one of his final performances before he was taken from his far too young. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.